Hey, thank you, worship team, and good morning, New Hope. Hope everybody's doing well. Weren't the kids cute? Wasn't that fun to have them up here? And, and it was quite the week. I tell you, I know Brent was sharing a little bit and, and Samantha as well. And it was just a fantastic time, a ton of energy. And uh, I want to take it's just a special moment to call out the volunteers. So many of you were out here helping and serving. I think last service, Brent, you said about 80 volunteers or so. And, and that's remarkable. That many people coming together to invest into kids this week was a fantastic thing. And within all those volunteers, I want to call it a special group because for me to sit back and just watch it all unfold, so to speak. It was amazing to watch the teenagers. And I don't know how many teenagers we had here serving, and they weren't just off to the side like doing insignificant jobs. They were in the mix leading kids, investing into kids, and it was amazing to watch. I, I just, it was such an encouragement to me. So great job, teens, this week, and how you did that. It was a fantastic week and a lot to celebrate. So. I know it was mentioned earlier, but in case you missed it just coming in today, one of the things we were doing, one of our outreach efforts is Teacher Appreciation Day. So before you leave today, any door you go out, you have to stumble upon a table. They're there, and they're filled with cards. We're going to try to bless 146 teachers at ADM School District as they go back to school. And so if you would take a moment to just write a quick note of encouragement to a teacher this morning and uh, leave the cards. Don't walk off with them. Make sure you fill them out here. Put them in the bucket, and uh, that's going to be a tremendous encouragement. We also have donation baskets back there, too, as we're doing uh, Big Al gift cards uh, for the teachers just to bless them as they go back to, uh, back to school here in a couple of weeks, which is hard to believe. All right, if you would, grab your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Philippians. That's where we're going to be this morning. And we are in now in our second Sunday, second week of a sermon series called Joyride, where we're going verse by verse through the book of Philippians, which is a remarkable book. And there's lots of different themes and, and angles that Paul, who wrote this letter to the uh, Philippian church, uh, takes here. But one of them that uh, is a significant theme is the idea of joy. And that's what we're talking about over the next six weeks, is joy. And joy is one of those things that we as a people and we as a culture, uh, that we, um, we look for it, we long for it. I mean, we're, we spend so much time and effort searching for it, but we oftentimes, we just come up short, don't we? So often we, we think we're going to find joy in a certain place or a certain activity, and it ends up leaving us feeling just as empty as before we started. And joy is, is something that's it's very significant. And it's something that is surprising where it's located. And I think that's where we're going to find out this sermon series. As we begin to dig into this letter, that we're going to f- discover together that joy is found in very surprising places. And this is why this is important, because joy is, is more significant and more meaningful than just happiness. We're going to be talking about that this morning. Joy is something that you can experience no matter what your circumstances are today. You could be walking through the doors here this morning and you could be in a great place in life or you could be just dragging and totally discouraged. But wherever you're at, you can experience joy in that place. God can meet you there. And so we're looking at surprising places to find joy. Now, just by way of review, last Sunday, we kicked off the sermon series, and we talked about Paul, and he's planting this church, and he shows up in Philippi, and he he engages with this wealthy businesswoman who becomes a Christian, and a little girl who was demon-possessed, and she becomes a follower of Christ. And then a a cruel Roman jailer, he becomes a Christian. And this group, along with a few others around them, becomes the starting point of this brand-new church. And the thing we talked about, our big idea was this, this is what we, what we hit on last Sunday, is that joy, this is a little bit surprising, but joy is found in community that's united around Jesus. Maybe we don't think about that necessarily. And when we think about this idea of, of community united around Christ, one of the things that's really important 
that we mentioned last week is that church, we have to change our thinking. Church is not an event to attend. It's a place to belong. It's a community of people to, to link arms with and say, I'm going to do life with you, and we're, going to, we're in this together, so to speak. It's a community to belong to. And, and, and the difference between being an attender and being a person who's a part of the community, who's, who's actively engaged, is, is significant. It's a world of difference in how you experience church even. I mean, it's almost football season, right? So consider going to a Cyclones football game. There is a major difference between being the person up in the seats watching the game, pounding down hot dogs all day, and the person on the field with the jersey on playing the game, right? It is a world of difference. But that's so sometimes what we experience church in different ways. That for some, it's just I go to church, I attend church, I leave church. And for others, it's this is my family. This is my community. This is who I walk through life with. And there's good times and there's bad times, but through it all, we're in this together. That's the difference. That Jesus takes us in all of our uniqueness, and we are unique. And what he does is he knits us together in a remarkable way. That Maintaining our uniquenesses, we have this purpose in serving Christ and seeing his kingdom advance. And that purpose and that passion for Jesus unites us together so that we become on mission for him. To see God do some great things in this corner of the world. And through New Hope, through our ghost strategy, really around the world. And that's a beautiful thing. We describe it here as we help people find and follow Jesus. That's our mission. That's what we're about. And we get to do that together in all of our uniquenesses. So that was last week. If you missed that message, you can go on Facebook and watch it or any podcast, wherever you listen uh, to uh, your sermons uh, there. But I want to hit now our big idea for this morning. just want to lay it out. This is the big idea. This is the surprising place, if you will, where we're, another place that we find joy that we don't often think about, but it's, a, it's an important principle that we're going to see this morning. Here it is. Here's the next fill in the blank, first fill in the blank, that is, on your bulletin on the back side, it's this. That joy is found in my purpose, not in my position. That you and I, we will experience joy when we focus it and we look for it in our purpose and not in our position. You may say, well, now what does that mean? What are you talking about? The big idea here, let's just talk about position first real quick. Position is your circumstances in life, the situation in which you find yourself. And you know as well as I do that your position in life is always changing, isn't it? You, you hit seasons that are great. You hit seasons that are rotten. You, you experience this even in a given day. You start off a day, it's going really well, and then something happens and it just tanks. It falls apart completely. We, we know what that's like, but see, that's the, that is the reality. That's kind of the point, is our position is always changing. And so here's what happens so often, is that our happiness rides the roller coaster of our positions. And so if things are going well, I'm happy. If things fall apart, I'm sad. I'm not happy anymore. Oh, no, it's getting better. Now I'm happy again. Oh, now it's not. And we just ride this roller coaster up and down, and we attach our happiness to our position. But another way to think of it, and what we're going to see here, this principle that Paul's going to lay out, just one idea this morning. This is all we're talking about this morning, is that when we focus on purpose, your purpose is fixed. It doesn't have to ride the waves of your circumstances. See, your position is what you're doing or where you find yourself. Your purpose is the why behind it. And that does not have to go up and down like everything else in life. 
it can remain fixed. And that's why this is so important. And we can learn this from Paul. Now remember, Paul is writing these words we're going to look at. And Paul's writing this whole letter from a prison in Rome. He is there in prison. He is in the worst of positions. He's in the worst of circumstances. And he knows this. And he's going to be very open and honest in just a moment. We're going to see it about where he's at in life. He knows he's awaiting trial. We know, he didn't know, but we know that he's going to be executed in a couple years. His position is bad. And he knows this. But what you're going to see here, what we're going to see really throughout the letter, but especially today, is you're going to see that his sense of purpose and his joy are not changed because of his position. They remain the same. And I don't know about you, but I mentioned this last Sunday, but I, I want to learn about joy from a guy who's talking about it from a prison cell. That's who I want to learn from. And that's what we're going to do here this morning. And so, again, Philippians was where we're at, chapter 1. And we're going to pick up this morning in verse 12. So if you have your Bible, you can obviously follow along. It's on the screen behind me here. Let's go ahead and check out our first couple of verses here. Here's what Paul writes to the church in Philippi. He says, he says this. He says, Now I, I want you to know, brothers and implied sisters, that what has happened to me, now what has happened? Well, he's in prison. He, he's there because of his faith. He didn't do anything wrong. He's just there because he loves Jesus. He says, I want you to know that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. This is an incredible perspective here because here's essentially what Paul's saying. He's saying, he's saying, look, my position in life, my situation, I am in chains and that stinks. That's bad. And he's not, he's not diminishing it. It's very real. But he says, but there's something else weighing on the scales over here. And that is, even though I'm in prison, the gospel's advancing. Like, God is on the move, and God is doing some great things, and so because of that, I'm excited. Because of that, I'm encouraged. Yes, his position's bad, but the purpose that he has, and his purpose, we're going to see here in a moment, is to see Christ proclaimed, to see people, men, women, boys, and girls, come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. That's his purpose. And even though he's in a, a Roman jail, and he's on the bench, if you will, but maybe not, we'll see here in just a moment, nonetheless, his position is bad, but the purpose is being fulfilled. So he says, look, I, I'm okay with this. This is good. Now, Paul tells us in verse 13 why he's okay. Here's one example. He says, look, as a result, as you just see here, the whole palace guard knows about Jesus. They know why I'm here. And there's other people. He includes us in everyone else. Now, what's going on here with this? Now, back in Paul's day, the palace guard were a, a special breed of soldiers. They weren't your run-of-the-mill soldiers. They were a special group. And their job, they were the security force for the emperor. At this time, it was Nero. And they were 9,000 strong. That's a good security force. Nero had 9,000 personal bodyguards, if you will. They would be like the secret service of today. And so that's what this group is. This is what their job is. Now, in addition to uh, uh, guarding Nero, who doesn't need 9,000 people around him, they had other duties as well, one of which was prison duty. And so what would happen for Paul in his situation here is that Paul is in this is a prison cell, and at the beginning of the day, if you will, four guards, palace guards, would be sent to Paul. Two of them would guard the, the prison door. That was their station. Two of them would come into the prison, and one of them would uh, grab the chain and put it on his arm that was linked to Paul's arm, and the other chain was on Paul's arm, would go the other direction, would link to another guard. Those are the four guards. Two were chained to Paul, two were at the door. 
And then what would happen is that every four hours, those four guards would go off duty. So those four guards would unchain and leave the prison, and four new guards would come in. Now, could you imagine Paul? He's in the prison. He's in a terrible position, but here God is bringing four guards on a cycle of every four hours that are literally chained to him, two of them at least. I mean, you talk about a captive audience. They can't go anywhere. And Paul, I mean, this is the epitome of, like, you give me lemons. I'm making some lemonade here because this is good. Like, I get it, this, this captive audience to tell them about my faith, to tell them why I'm here, to tell them about the hope that I have in Christ, to tell them about my purpose. And, and what happens? I mean, P- Paul talks about it here. He's like, look, the whole palace guard, they're hearing about Christ. And presumably some of these soldiers, some of these guards, they're coming to Christ. They're praying to receive Jesus. They're becoming Jesus' followers. And then some of these guards presumably are out telling other palace guards about what's going on. And so there's other palace guards who are hearing the gospel and they too are turning their life over to Christ. The other thing that's interesting about this unit, these 9,000 soldiers, this palace guard, is they were by nature very mobile. Meaning they they were on the go constantly. They were being sent here and sent there. Which is under God's sovereignty perfect because as, G, as, as Paul is, is ministering to these guys and some of them are coming to Christ or a lot of them are coming to Christ, now all of a sudden they're being sent all over the Roman Empire and what are they doing? Telling other people about Christ. It is possible that Paul had a bigger impact of reaching the Roman Empire from a prison cell than he did than when he was a free person. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that like, like God's mind-blowing sovereignty? That he takes a guy like Paul, and, and, and I said earlier, puts him on the bench, and it looked like that positionally he is taken out of the game. But because Paul's purpose was not his position, he's able to see beyond his circumstances and say, you know what, but God, you can use this too. And so I'm excited to see what this is going to look like. But this isn't just 2,000 years ago in Paul. This is you, and this is me too. Because many of you, you know, and you've been there, you've been in a place where you're going along in life and all of a sudden something happens and you find yourself in a place in life you never wanted to be. You find yourself going through something you never wanted to go through and it's painful and it's hard and it's frustrating, but there you are. And then in that place, many of you, you've had that opportunity to say, okay, God, this isn't what I chose, but here I am. So would you do something that only you can do? My purpose is not my position. Maybe for some of you, it was that cancer diagnosis. And all of a sudden, you find yourself meeting with doctors and meeting with other cancer patients and going through chemo, and you're going through things that you wouldn't choose it. But there you are. And so it's, God, use me in this place because I'm surrounded by other people. Would you use me? Or maybe for some of you, it was a job change or a job demotion, and then you find yourself in this other place, occupation, and you're like, I didn't choose this. I didn't want to be here, but, but God, here I am. And so would you use it? And would you use me? Because I'm not going to ride the emotional ups and downs of the position. And we're human, and I know we experience all of that, but, but Lord, my purpose, the why behind it is so much bigger. And the purpose is you. That, that's what we have the opportunity to do. And, and so, and really, this was Paul's purpose. Here's next fill in the blank. It's this, because Paul, uh, he, here it is for him. Paul's purpose, it wasn't even his ministry. His purpose was Jesus. His purpose was his relationship with Christ. And, and in the context of that relationship, 
to help other people come into a relationship with Christ. That was his purpose. You know what's beautiful about that? Is nobody could ever take that away from him. Put him anywhere you want. Torture him, beat him, flog him, imprison him. Didn't matter. His purpose was fixed, and it was fixed on Christ. God, no matter where I'm at, you're going to do what you do, and I cannot wait to see what that looks like. That is a a, a great example that Paul sets for us. Now let's keep going here, because Paul's going to give another reason why he's finding joy in really a bad position or a bad situation. Let's look at verse 14. He continues, he says, And because of my chains, most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of that, I rejoice. Let's take in the human side of this real quick. You know what it's like to be taken out of the game. You know what it's like to be put on the bench. You, you know what it's like to have those situations where you're like, that should have been me. And that's what Paul's going through. It, it's like the, the quarterback of the team and gets injured and taken out of the game and the replacement comes in who does pretty well. And now all of a sudden the quarterback finds himself holding a clipboard. I want to get back in the game, coach but somebody else is in that role. It's hard to watch. It's hard to cheer from the sidelines. And here Paul's expressing some of this. He's like, look, I'm not in there, but others are, and and I'm just rejoicing, and they're not all doing it right, and they're not all doing it for the right reasons. But I don't care. Because no matter what, Christ, and I see this, and he's saying this, Christ is being preached, and because of that, I am rejoicing. See, when your purpose is bigger than your position, then you don't care who gets the credit. And, And you don't really care how it all kind of even happens or what your role in it is. It's all about the goal. It's all about the, 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 the thing that we're going for. And that's what you care most about. And that's what we see highlighted here with Paul. This, again, this great example. I'm, I'm, I'm not out there. I'm not free, but I'm still rejoicing. And so I want to ask as we begin to close this morning, what's your purpose? What's your purpose? What are you living for? What is the why behind what you do? What is it for you? And I have found over the years in my own life and lives of others that so often our position sneaks in and crowds out our purpose. That what we say is our purpose is actually our position because we say things like, well, it's the most important thing for me is this relationship. Or the most important thing for me is this, this job or a status or security or comfort or whatever. We, we just slide these things in, but that is actually not your purpose. That's crowding it out. That's your position. That's something that you can ride up and down that will change. And again, you know this. I started off saying this before. You and I, we're just one phone call away from everything changing or one job loss or one no paycheck showing up. And everything changes. And so I want to encourage us this morning as we close that you and I, that we would adopt a purpose that's bigger than anything else that we can hang on to situationally. And we're actually going to learn this from Paul and Paul's example because Paul tells us his purpose. 
he lays out for us, he says, look, this is my purpose. And I want to suggest that you and I, that we embrace that same purpose. And here it is in verse 21. Let's go ahead and jump there. Paul says this, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's the most important thing for him. That Jesus rises to the top. Again, there's lots of important things in life that we give attention to. But but on top of all of that, that we would say like Paul, that my life, the why behind what I do is Jesus. And I'm fixing it myself on that. Because that's the most important thing and nobody can take that away from me. To live is Christ and to die is gain. That's a verse to memorize. And that's a verse to embrace and absorb and to strive to live out. And so as we begin to close, on the back, you'll see there, that verse has some blanks in it, though. It looks kind of like this on your bulletin. And I want to encourage you, I want to double-dog dare you to take a moment to fill out for you how you would answer the question. What would you say? For me to live is, what is it? What is it for you? This is something to reflect on. This is something to think about. What are you living for? And here's the interesting thing about this this exercise, is no matter what you put in that first line, how you answer that question automatically answers the second question. It just does. Because anything that you put in there that's temporal or of this world that you're clinging to and living for, and that's your highest priority, you will lose it. It will be gone. You can't keep it forever. There's no U-Hauls that follow you to heaven. There's nothing that lasts forever. It just doesn't happen that way. And so in that regard, to die is, is loss. I want to encourage all of us that we would find a purpose bigger than our position. And the purpose is Jesus. That you'd grab a hold of him as the highest purpose. Because here's the thing. If what you're living for is not worth dying for, then it's not worth living for. It's not. Let me pray for us. My encouragement this week, reflect on that. Take that bulletin home. Give some thought. Maybe verse 21. Memorize that verse and say, you know what? This is for me. This is how I want to live for Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder. Thank you for Paul's example. Here he is in a prison cell. And yet he's rejoicing. His life and his purpose are so much bigger than the the place he finds himself. And I pray for each one of us, no matter where we're at in our spiritual journey or no matter what we're facing today in life, that we would cling on to you. We We stop riding this exhausting wave of situations and good circumstances and bad, and we'd fix our perspective, our heart, our passion, and our pursuits onto you and you alone. Help us to do this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Ryan. Um, Let's stand and sing one more song together to close out our service today.